You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, your source for all the Baltimore Ravens news and information. Now, ice up, huh? Good evening, folks. Welcome into the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. As always, I am Kyle Barber, and with me is Matt Stevens. Matt, how has your Thursday gone so far? It has gone okay, I guess. Okay, you guess. That's not the best answer for it. All right, look, look. The Ravens haven't sent anybody new to injured reserve today, so it's fine. That's yeah. That's about that's about the only positive for the Baltimore Ravens as of today. Now. We do have a pretty good show lined up for you. I'm actually pretty excited for the show. This is our 20th podcast on the Ravens' 20th anniversary season, so this better be a good show. At least I like to think so. First and foremost, we're going to be talking about that loss versus Jacksonville. The refereeing this season also being downright blasphemous at this point. Ravens have a shot at the number one overall pick. Uh, Trading compensatory picks is now an option for the NFL. Uh, obviously more news on injuries because the Ravens definitely don't have enough of that yet. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that Rams at Ravens game coming up on Sunday. Matt, first and foremost, like I previously mentioned, we're going to talk about that loss versus Jacksonville. Obviously we got to go over this final play. Uh, would you want, want to lease off on this one? Well, all right. <laughs> the Jaguars are trying to go down the field. They've got about a minute left after the Ravens go ahead and score. Uh, in order to put up their points. They have no timeouts left, so it's the hurry-up offense for them trying to make throws. The Ravens take away the outsides. They're throwing to the middle of the field, able to hurry up and get and run it up uh, to the the line of scrimmage to hurry up and throw the ball. That's right, Eugene Monroe. People run uh, after snaps are made. Um, i got to get that dig in there. Yeah, no kidding. So they end up getting up there. One final play. Uh, they they throw the ball, they run up there, hurry up, try to get set, and snap the ball, and, and here's where the big issue is. The ball should have been ruled uh, dead at that point. The left tackle and the uh, tight end were both moving. They were not set properly, uh, and it should have been a penalty. Ten-second runoff of the clock should have ended the game. However, did not happen. No flags were thrown that day. And you have outside linebacker Elvis Doomerville coming in. Uh, no one was really blocking because, again, no one thought anyone was set. So uh, the offensive line pretty much just let Doomerville right in. Doomerville proceeds to grab Blake Bortles' face mask and whip him down to the ground, thus getting a penalty. Since time had expired, the penalty against Doomerville was obviously accepted. That pushes the Jaguars 15 yards forward and gives them essentially a free play. The clock's at 0-0. It's a free play. The Jaguars are able to do whatever they want to do. They line up for a 53-yard field goal. They kick it. It's good. The Jaguars win 22 to the Ravens 20. Now, the biggest problems on this play, first and foremost, you did mention it, the left tackle and tight end weren't even set in their stances before the ball was snapped. They should have thrown the penalty on that. The game should have been over. The Ravens should have won this game because of that. But the flag wasn't thrown on that particular part of the game. Then, as the ball snapped, Bortles fell down, rolled over, did a full somersault, and then got back up. That's fine. That's legal. Nobody touched him. It's okay to do that. And then he 
he missteps and he actually runs forward because he sees Doomerville because nobody was blocking him. Doomerville gets juked out by Blake Bortles' accidental <laughs> wrong step, which worked in his favor, and he just reaches out to tackle him, misses, you know, grabs that face mask on accident and pulls him down, giving him that free play. That's what gets the penalty, as Matthew also mentioned. Now, a huge factor in this is the pr play previous to that, Kendrick Lewis drops an, in a, an interception. It was in his hands. He dove for it and uh, just drops it, which essentially could have been the game winner if he had caught that. You know, that was game over. That's all there is to it. So Kendrick Lewis is at fault for this. Elvis Dumerville, I do not put the blame on. A lot of people are saying he deserves the blame, and that's I'm kind of jumping ahead in our show right now, but... Dumerville was the only one trying on that play, if people didn't notice. Timmy Jernigan was standing straight up. Courtney Upshaw was walking off the field, I believe. So it's kind of frustrating to see that uh, Dumerville didn't deserve that because he was actually the person playing the ball and working for a Reese. You know what I mean? Matt? Yeah, I, it's, it's difficult because, I mean, everyone on the play, I mean, outside of Bortles and apparently Dumerville, no one else thought that the Jaguars got the ball off in time. I mean, you can see the entire Jaguars offensive line standing around looking at each other. You could see their wide receivers barely in their stance, and, and realistically they weren't even really set either. Yep. Um, so you, you could have called the flag on them just as easily as, as anybody else. Um, but they're just looking at Bortles going, why the hell is Dumerville trying to tackle him? Mm -hmm. No one moved on the play. So when both teams are kind of like, uh, damn, we, they, they didn't get it. I, it's It's... Look, I'll blame Dumerville specifically for the fact that he did make a penalty. Is the entire loss his fault? Absolutely not. I mean, you can blame the loss on Flacco's uh, multiple interceptions. You can blame it on Jeremy Ross and, and his fumble on the uh, kicker punt return that ended up giving the Jaguars great field position. You could blame it on you could blame it on a number of different things right. um, over the course of the game. But that's the one, obviously, it's it's the last play of the game. It's the one that everyone's going to go ahead and remember. Uh, so Doomerville gets a lot of shit for it. Um, and even Doomerville's kind of said, look, I, I don't feel good about this. I'm, I'm, he, he's probably much harder on himself than any fan could possibly be. Right. Uh, and even, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit, the NFL has kind of come out and said, look, the refs were wrong. Uh, and Doomerville did say something to the effect of, that doesn't help me sleep at night. I mean, it's it doesn't help me at all. Right. So wish they just kind of kept that to themselves. And now, I remember watching a couple weeks ago, I don't know if anybody uh, remembers this, I was watching Pardon the Interruptions, got Tony Kornheiser, Mike Wilbon, one of the best shows on ESPN, honestly, and SportsCenter. But what they were talking about was the Miami-Duke game, Matt. Did you end up seeing uh, the final play on that one, by chance? I did not, actually, okay. so, so go ahead and explain it to me and our listeners. All right, what happened on that play is uh, they're down by four or five, and uh, they they got to get a kickoff. You know, they're receiving the kickoff with uh, 11 seconds left. And instead of kneeling it, instead of going to the turf, they begin the lateral game. And they have 11 laterals, and it ends up scoring for the University of Miami, and they beat Duke. By, by running the lateral game, and it actually works to the effect. It's crazy. Now, on that play, three penalties occurred. Only one of them was actually flagged. There was a block in the back at the 15-yard line by Miami. That should have been dead ball, you know, game over, uh, regardless of the outcome of that play, whether or not it was if they made the touchdown or not. That would have been it. Also, uh, during one of the laterals, one of the players' knees went down before he actually lateraled it off. They didn't catch it in time, so they... Uh, 
They instead they just let the game continue. Then finally, as they're running down the field, as he finally broke away, players from the sideline that weren't even in on the play started running down the field celebrating on the field. That's a dead ball foul because players are on the field that weren't part of the original play. They should have been. It should have been flagged, and the game should have been over from the spot of the ball when they did that. So three penalties occurred. They only flagged one. It was the block in the back. So they review the entire play. They see that kid's knee is down, but they didn't call it. They picked up the flag on the block on the back, and they didn't call anything about the player running onto the field. And once you review it, and they picked up that flag, that Miami essentially won when they didn't deserve to. The kid was down by contact. There was a block in the back that should have negated the touchdown. And also the player that ran onto the field should have uh, had – received a penalty and that would have been a dead ball from what the spot of where he where the ball was when he ran out on the field. Essentially, screwing Duke out of a game. They lost because of this. And yeah. the NCAA said, "Hey, Duke should have won this game." And this is the same exact scenario, you know, it, the the rightful victor did not win. Uh even with the rules in place, they say, "Hey, yeah, you should have won that game, but uh, it didn't happen." Is this an instance where they need to do it? Like, you need to say, hey, you have, like, this is the NCAA, this is the NFL. They should have the power to say, all right, we got to give the game to the incorrect person because we called the, the final play of a game situation was wrong. We need to give the rightful victor their victory as they deserve. Would you, would you be for that, Matt? That's that's a tough thing, and obviously, I mean, it, it's I have a little bit of a bias. The Ravens lost on what shouldn't have been a, a final play uh, for the kick. It's uh, so, but even with that, I've got to say no. And, really? and the reason really is absolutely. I I think that look, it's it's something that I was taught in in football all the way growing up, and it's something I'm sure you were as well, Kyle. It, it you cannot let the refs decide the game. Um, you, you hear it in fighting as well. If you let it go to decision, you're leaving it in the hands of people that probably shouldn't have it in their hands. Honestly, right. um, same thing goes with this. You, you should you should handily beat your opponent, or at least put enough points between you and one of these shitty decisions. Right. Um, you know, a, a, as bad as it is, it, it is something to where these refs. It's a split second decision. Um, it's a split second read that they've got to see. Uh, and you know, in the case of, of the Duke game that you were mentioning, that's, that's a little bit more, obviously there's some more that's there. Uh, but I, I don't think that you should go ahead and pull those games back because then you're talking about, you have to go back even further. You have to then start talking about previous games that happened. Should there have been penalties on that? Should, should those, victories be taken away or do you just go ahead and do it from from here moving forward and then even with that you're you're dealing with a ton of betting lines you're dealing with a ton of just a, a ton of other headaches um you know outside of it so like i said it's it's difficult for me to say but i i honestly would not go ahead and pull the victory away from somebody um because of the the Doomerville play for instance or or not being set I wouldn't pull it away from the Jaguars and give it to the Ravens. It just the Ravens should have done more. 
I'm actually really surprised with your answer because I'm in complete disagreement. I think, especially this Duke game and this Ravens game and other games beforehand, um, you got if if it's a the final play dictates a champion and it was the wrong call completely and it's not in like the playoffs it's not in this kind of situation because I can't I can't go further than what I really know right now you know I don't know I don't have all the answers obviously but in a regular season game such as this on the last play they don't call a penalty that literally changes the game the outcome yeah. Such as this, the flag against uh, Doomerville, the knee down or the flag and the penalty and the block in the back for the Duke-Miami game, or uh, going really far back, the uh, fail Mary play, Russell Wilson, Golden Tate, and uh, and the Green Bay Packers, as that was yeah. wrongfully called, um, how they missed out on the uh, Golden Tate's push-off when he shoved down on offensive pass interference. They missed that call. I feel like you the NFL is supposed to be that power that changes it and makes it right. Hey, you you won the game. We can't say, oh, it's our bad. We'll see if we can get that change next time. We've heard that countless times already this season. Say, hey, yeah, that was a catch. Hey, that wasn't a catch. And we'll get into more referee stuff later. But I feel like this is something you've got to make do. you got to do it right. You're the NFL. This could change playoff scenarios. This could change everything. This changes it, draft selection areas it changes so much that you got to be the power that does things right you got to do it correctly and justly especially this is a multi-billion dollar industry you got to have the power to do that you can't just do oh our bad well i I, and here's why i'm going to disagree with you on a few different fronts a it is a multi-billion dollar industry and they they could have the power to do it but here here's the opposite side of that they go ahead and do that, and they take away a win from the from the Ravens, for instance. Mm-hmm. How many people would you hear bitching and complaining about the fact that, oh, the NFL's taking it into their own hands. They just want the Patriots to win. That's all you'd hear, nonstop. So just for my sheer sanity, just on that point alone, I'm going to disagree with you. The second thing is, and actually Equation for Life here in the comment section mentioned it, He says, but can't you make the same argument for all bad pivotal calls throughout the game? You remember the last one, but every call adding, subtracting points throughout the game has the same effect. And and he's right. While we mention, you know, the the, the Hail Mary passes, while we mention, you know, the the not setting, uh, not not being set there at the uh, final play for the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and Baltimore Ravens last week, while we mention those plays, I mean, there's probably a dozen other plays to where we could nitpick and say, right. well, I mean, you should have called that, you shouldn't have called oh, absolutely. that. absolutely, I get that. Here, here's what the league should do, and I think this is probably the best scenario. Mm-hmm. You allow coaches to challenge everything. It'll slow the game down to a fucking crawl. Absolutely. But you allow them to challenge everything. That flag that was thrown out there? You can challenge it because, again, it, it is split-second decisions. That flag that was thrown out there, it might have been based on what that, that referee saw at that specific time from that specific angle. Mm-hmm. When you have a chance to view at it from all different angles in slow-mo, maybe that flag gets picked up. And in the case of like the, the final play of the game, maybe that's something that, that makes a decision there or, or makes an impact. 
but then from there, the league can then start to take away times that you shouldn't be able to challenge. And, and that's just to help pick up the pace of the game. But that has the same effect without the... <sighs> Without the issue of going, look, if we if we allow the league to determine who the hell wins the game, it's going to happen Tuesday. We're not going to know if the Ravens won or not until Tuesday because the league's got to view all the film and determine out who really should have. It, it's it's just it's part of what comes with the game. It's you got to take the good and the bad, and like I said, you you can't put it in the refs' hands. If they make a bad play or if they make a bad call, that's that is what it is. You've got to be above that. You've got to be able to do more than that one single play uh, to do it. Or else just really all hell else breaks loose, honestly, when you let the NFL make a decision, okay. when you let them review everything. It's just I, – I, it's a good thought, but it, it will never work in practice. Right. I, I'm, still on, I'm still on my train of – you know, you got to – you gotta do things right. You gotta be just. You gotta be fair. It's about the integrity of the game. And if a team literally wins and they lose because of a garbage decision by the referees, I mean, ha have this chaotic defensive battle going on, right? Let's say the Panthers and uh, Seahawks two years ago were playing each other, right? And they win nine to eight. And yeah. and this call literally makes the difference on it. It's not because you know the team didn't try hard enough. They absolutely were. They both are battling as hard as physically possible. But why why should uh why should you not be able to win that when you did everything correctly and it wasn't your fault? Like it's the refs' fault that they called that wrong. I know you say uh, you should never let the refs have an opportunity to you know make the decision on the game. You should always beat your opponent by enough, but. It's not that easy, you know, these Oh yeah. And and because of that, I think it's just the NFL's got to do more to make this correct and make it right. It's just I'm just frustrated with how how the refs have been handling it this lately. And speaking of which, we're going to segue into our next <laughs> discussion right here. The refs this season have been atrocious. We've seen the Lions Seahawks game as a uh, as they batted the ball out of the back of the end zone. That screwed over the Lions. They should have had the ball back on the one yard line with a minute thirty six down by uh, I believe four. Uh, we see the Ravens lose uh, Chris Johnson for sixty two yards because Brandon Williams wraps him up and holds on to him. The play's dead. Zadarius Smith isn't going to drop an elbow drop on him while he's standing over him because he would get an unnecessary roughness call. But since he didn't do that, Chris Johnson got back up, ran and sprinted down the sideline until Will Hill finally caught up to him. Uh, we yeah. see the uh, the call against – what was the other call in that game? I, there's so many of them, I'm forgetting them now. I believe that's, that, that's exactly it. There's been so many of them that I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Yeah. Every, Which every goddamn catch in the NFL now is under scrutiny because you don't know whether or not it's going to be a catch. Golden Tate catches one that he doesn't at the same time. Tyler Eifert scores a touchdown against the Ravens. He gets called back even though he made the play and he scored it, essentially. Jimmy Graham had two hands on it, went into the end zone, then got it knocked out. They all of a sudden go from that used to be a touchdown to now it's not. It's debatable on this. Odell Beckham catches one and gets it stripped in the end zone. They can't decide whether or not that's a touchdown. They have to review it for fucking four minutes before they realize, hey, yeah, we're just calling it not a catch. 
Um, I've seen other catches, you know, caught it, took three steps, got it batted out. Jermaine Gresham all of a sudden now doesn't count as a catch or a fumble. It's just a dead ball is what they're calling it now. It's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. The Ravens lose out a game because they can't call the uh, the play correctly. These are changing the games to, because this is so bad. The refereeing is so bad this season. It, what do you make of this? What 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 the fuck? You know, <laughs> like I've been beating around that. I've been beating around that sentence this entire conversation. What the fuck? It, it is. Um... <laughs> That's that's a the best way to actually put it, Kyle. Is is I think I wrote something about this not that long ago, or maybe you and I talked about it. Now is the time when the NFL, for for all the shit that they give the players, the coaches, everyone about the uh, and I'm going to put this in, in in finger quotes the integrity of the shield. Um, they are not doing an awful lot about their referees. Um, and, and look, I mean, like I said. These are split-second decisions. Shit happens. I get it. There's going to be missed calls. There's going to be bad calls. Um, and, and from even what fans understand, look, the, the fans don't know the, the, the rule book, ultimately. And I've actually – I have a copy of the rule book. Um, I, I did a project um, a while ago that involved the NFL rule book. Mm. That son of a bitch is, is thick. Absolutely. Um. It's like war and peace up in there for every one of those rules. Um, so there's a lot that I, I guess fans don't really understand that they'll bitch about it, but it's it's not really a broken penalty. It's it's whatever. But uh, the league does need to do a better job in terms of getting more referees available, more officials available, uh, training them up, creating a, a better internship program, uh, or even treating college like you know uh, uh, the minor leagues of officiating mm-hmm. and bringing those guys and, and girls up and, and you know replacing some of the bad officials. At this point, everyone kind of knows there's some pretty shitty officials out there. I mean, it's I think it's pre- Pete Morelli's crew, which is the one that we had in the Jaguars game. Right. Everyone kind of knows they're they're going to butcher the game when it comes to flags, when it comes to yep. weird plays like that. And that's what we saw exactly. It, it's you, you need to be able to, and, and here's where the league fails. You need to be able to suspend those those uh, uh, officials. You need to be able to find those officials. And those officials make more than enough money. I know everyone wants to talk about it being a part time job. They make more than us. I can assure you that. They make damn good money to do what they do, um, and and they get compensated well in other ways uh, by the league. So, you know, the league needs to do a better job of putting their paycheck in doubt. If you screw up and it's a routine thing and you cannot get it right and and you're you're constantly in the headlines, we are going to start taking away some of your check. We're going to start fining you. And then eventually, you're going to get to enough strikes, just like it does with any other player, to where we are going to suspend you. We're going to bring Joe in from, you know, who who is just doing the, the Duke game. We're going to bring him and his crew in. You and your crew can go down to college this week. And, and eventually, you will get enough refs. You'll get enough officials that... um You'll you'll be able to field a pretty competitive group of people on, on a regular basis there. 
but as of right now, the league doesn't really suspend officials. It it does, but it's got to be a terrible error, um, like not noticing the clock is still winding down, uh, as I believe was the case the other week, where they suspended one official for not noticing the clock was still winding down in a two-minute situation, um, even though it should have stopped. That shouldn't be the thing that, that gets you suspended as an official. I mean, it should, but it shouldn't. The the league needs to do a much better job on that front, or else it's it's going to be in the headlines routinely, and, and this season has been worse. Um, at least it seems like it's been worse. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, you shouldn't have to fight the officials as well, which which kind of goes back to our previous uh, little little diatribe, Kyle, in that, yeah, you know, you, you should shouldn't leave it up to the officials, but sometimes you're going to have to. Yeah, these, and, uh, these are two yeah. completely professional teams going at it. You can't say that you're, you're playing two teams at this point. I'm playing the Jaguars and the refs. The Jaguars are playing the refs and the Ravens at the same time. It's almost all against all at this point is what it feels like. Hey, I have to be successful, and I have to also do it in a fashion that's perfect for the refs' eyes or else – this might be negated because every goddamn offensive play that seems to go right for the Ravens has a holding penalty or a hands to the face or any defensive penalty, defensive stop turns out to be a goddamn face mask, a jump off sides or pass interference or defensive holding or hands to the face. You know, every single fucking play is something wrong. And it's to the point where you expect a flag to be thrown at any moment during play as a Ravens fan. I'm watching an entire play, and I'm wondering when I see the yellow symbol pop up on fucking CBS or Fox or whatever the hell, and go, (laughs) flag. Oh, and uh, here we have another flag on the play. Let's see what this one's for. It looks like it was John Urschel on the play. Um, Or it could have been this play. It could have been fucking Timmy Jernigan or C.J. Mosley or Webb was caught offside. Jimmy Smith with hands in the face. Fucking Will Hill for tackling too nicely. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous, and that's why, why Why are we so worried about the refs? This isn't about the fucking refs. This game has never been about them. Well, I, I will say this. It's this league, at least from, from my perspective, and, and the Ravens, we have a kind of a unique perspective, you and I, Kyle. We watch Ravens games. The Ravens are one of the more penalized teams in the league. Yeah. Um, so, so we get to see a lot of yellow hankies hit the ground. Um it, it doesn't seem that the refs are making the bad calls when they make calls. Mm-hmm. When they're offsides, they're offsides. There's right. there's little that we've seen that is like that's that's a shitty flag. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a few of them, and they always will be when it comes to pass interference. That's and I can stuff. accept those. I can't. Yeah, it, it seems to be more or less the issues that at least I've had, uh, and I, I can't speak for you on that one, Kyle. But at least that I've had are the ones that they're not calling. The ones where they're just—they don't seem to be paying attention, and I, you know, I'll never ask for more penalties because who the hell wants to slow down the game even more? But there's times when you need to get it right, and, and there's there's definitely times when they haven't been—they haven't been throwing the flag out, and they just haven't been consistent yep. on the "we'll let them play, we won't let them play, we'll let them play," and, and now at this point, that's a flag. That's that's what's so. been irking everybody. They don't call a penalty when Brandon Williams tackles CJ. 2K. They don't call a penalty when uh, the the Jaguars weren't set. They didn't call a penalty when a Seahawk batted the ball out of the back of the end zone against the Lions, causing them to lose the game, essentially. And those are three huge game-altering plays. 
that aren't called because these refs don't know better or because they don't fucking see it. I get this game is ridiculously high octane. It absolutely is. These are some of the fastest humans on earth playing in one of the most physical sports in history. But you miss miss out on game altering plays. Like you know this. You know this is a huge play. This is the final play of the game and you can't see that everybody isn't set. You can't see that uh this fucking uh defender bats the ball out of the back of the end zone. You don't see that? I remember seeing the photo. I have the photo on one of my articles of him staring at it. They didn't uh wave the flag. They didn't throw a flag down or call the play dead. Um, with uh, Domikong Sue against Tyrod Taylor when he throws him to yeah. the turf, you know, and he says, because Domikong Sue, he, you know, he's he has that history of being a dirty player, and he's he's trying not to destroy a quarterback because he knows he's going to get a flag for it. He's spinning him around, but he's not going to put all 400 pounds of Domikong Sue down on Tyrod. You know, he doesn't want to get flagged for unnecessary yeah. roughness, so they don't call that. They don't call the play dead. All of a sudden, you know, you see, when you hear Domikong Sue go, if you guys don't call that, I have to, I'm going to slam the, the motherfucker. He said that. Yeah. Quoted saying, I'm going to slam the fuck out of him if you don't call that play dead. You've got to call that dead. This is my job. You're hurting me by doing this, by not doing your job. I'm losing out. And then the next play, because they get a holding penalty, Tyrod Taylor throws a 40-yard touchdown pass to Sammy Watkins because he would have had a sack on the play. It would have been a an 11-yard sack, but they fuck up that call. These are so many game-altering plays, and they should have... Like, I, I disagree with one of the things you said, jumping back just a little bit into our argument, that it's a part-time job. This needs to be a full-time job. This needs to be their fucking career, not their, oh, yeah, well, uh, during um, anything after February to uh, August, I uh, I go out and I, I bartend, and then during the summer... <laughs> During the fall through winter and part of spring, I uh, I actually am a referee for the NFL. This isn't a part-time anything. This is such a huge career that if these NFL players are doing it for their career, the guys that judge them day in and day out should be doing the same exact thing. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to – real quick, we actually got a phone call, but I will say that um, it, you know, it, it's not a part-time job. They get paid well enough to where it, it, it's really not, and, and the – the thought that the fans are saying that uh, is not exactly is not correct. Uh, but we've got our listener on the phone. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, how's it going? I'm Mitchell. I'm, I'm coming from uh, Toronto. Oh, nice. Oh, hey, Mitchell. All the way from Toronto. Got a Ravens fan up in Canada. Yeah, that's what you call it, Canada. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, hey, uh, real quick, your uh, Maple Leafs embarrassed my Colorado Avalanche, so thanks for that, by the way. Hey, uh, you know what? I'm actually a bigger ads fan than anything. I love Joe Sackett. Hey, okay. This. All right. He's calling in every week. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, good. What, what's, what's your call or what's your, uh, what's your question? Well, it's not really a question. It's more about a comment. And okay. like, it's really about excuses coming from the Ravens fans. You know, a lot of the fans uh, all over the internet, they're complaining about um, how the NFL screwed up that uh, the call, the Jaguars should have been penalized, 10-second run boom. But the, the thing is, Kendrick Lewis, a disappointing Kendrick Lewis, dropped an easy, easy pick. Elvis Doomerville with that ugly face mask call. Joe Flacco throwing those two ugly picks. So really, 
you know what, no matter if the NFL screwed up or not, this has just been a really disappointing team. And all we can talk about is excuses and what should have been done when there are teams who are winning games and no questions, no complaints. So we're just not there yet. I, and I'll, I'm going to agree with you on that one. And it kind of goes back to my original point in that the Ravens had the opportunity. Uh, don't throw one of those interceptions. Kendrick Lewis can catch one of the interceptions. And I think even John Harbaugh said something to the effect of, um, you know, he saw five different opportunities that the Ravens should have come down with the football. It should have been a turnover for the Ravens. Um, and, and the Ravens didn't capitalize on that, which has kind of been their issue all season. So, um, you know, but as far as fans bitching, that's that's what they do. Um, yeah. You know, every that's fan base being does a it. Being football fan is being able to yeah. complain and and be upset exactly. sometimes. You know why? Why? If you're such a fan, you got to care about it to to an extent. And I, that's why I disagree. Like this is this isn't making an excuse. The Ravens literally won that game, but on a refs misjudgment lost. I feel like that's not an excuse. That's that's a statement. I believe that's a fact. The Ravens won that football game against the Jacksonville Jaguars and still lost it because the referees didn't call what they should have done. They should have done their job. It was an easy call. It's right in front of them. They should have called it. Somebody's salty as shit, aren't we? That's not salty. Um, no, I, I, was, I was okay with us losing. I was cheering for us to lose. I want the I want the number one pick. I've been on the show for three weeks talking about how we need to win the the the, the draft. We aren't going to win the Super Bowl. Let's win the draft. We need to win by sucking, is what exactly. you're saying. Exactly, and that was my point. I, I was totally cool with it, but the Ravens won that game and still lost. I, I'm not mad that we lost. I'm mad that the refs aren't doing their jobs. And, you know, like I said, it's this is something that every fan base goes through, if not every week. It's It happens throughout the season. And, and, you know, throughout the entire season, I've heard plenty of Patriot fans. So if you're out there listening, um, you know, eat a dick. Um, with as many death threats as I've gotten, no, they can all eat a dick. Um, it, it's for for all the complaining that you hear the Ravens do, every fan base does it. It's just it, it seems like because we're losing, uh it, it's highlighted a little bit more um or it's in the headlines specifically because the NFL comes back out and says, "Yeah, we screwed up." So, but um yeah, I mean de- definitely a good point. It's there's enough the Ravens could have done to turn the tide in that game right. to where that last that last play shouldn't have mattered anyway. Right. I understand that viewpoint. Yeah. To me, it's all about excuses and just really, really, really shitty luck. That and the CJ2K uh, touchdown run that should have been uh, stopped for progress. Justin Tucker falling in a pothole. It's just been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unbelievable how bad this team uh, is playing as opposed to how good they are. The, the Ravens are a good team. You couldn't write this up. If I gave you a screen, you know, a screenplay – of how the Ravens had uh, this many uh, a season of unfortunate events. You know, this is exactly yeah. what it is. It's every single game something unfortunate happens that you would be like this can't happen all in one season, can it? A kicker falling in a pothole, the player not being ruled down, um, that them losing a game because the other team was actually wrong and it wasn't even set yet. Um, the interceptions at the goal line. John Urschel. It's un. It, it's absolutely unreal. If I gave you a screenplay of that, you'd be like, "Dude, this is not believable." 
This, there's no way this can all happen in one season. It's not only happening in one season. It, it's happening in one one team. One team's personal season is doing all of these problems. It's unbelievable. It, it, yeah, it, it it's, is. It's, uh, not a, it's just a terrible amount of bad luck. It, it is the uh, the football gods, as you know. I've always heard it yep. said. It, it's it's the wrong bounces. It's. The Ravens used to be on the positive side of those, um, and now this season it seems like I don't want to use the word karma because again, Patriot fans. But um, you know, it, it's just like ten years of those positive bounces just going the complete opposite way in one season. Uh, oh, oh, you, you needed that player. Oh, his ACL's torn. Oh, you needed his backup. Oh, his ACL's torn too. So. Uh, <laughs> It, like you said, Kyle, I mean, if, if you wrote this up at the beginning of the season, I'm pretty sure we all would have laughed at this and went, there's I'd no it, way. I've been put in a fucking straitjacket in a padded room. <laughs> if I would have told you, hey, you know this Super Bowl-bound team? Yeah, we're going 2-7 and seven after playing the Jaguars on our bye week, and we're <laughs> losing everybody. You'd been like, we're going to get beat up by the Cleveland Browns. I would have been fucking fired if I would have said, hey, Josh McCowan is throwing 450 yards on Jimmy Smith, Ladarius Webb, and Will Hill. You'd have said, you're yeah. a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that one. It, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a weird season for the Baltimore Ravens. And at this point, I mean, there was a, a – uh, to highlight how weird of a season this has been – Earlier today, the Ravens uh, <laughs> said that there was going to be a press conference for first-round pick that they just put on injured reserve. That's that's the type of season it's been already. Um, they were going to have a whole. They were going to hold a press conference for him, and he was going to talk a little bit about some stuff. They didn't highlight what it was going to be about. They didn't say you know anything about it. So the first thing that came into my mind hearing about this is, oh, he's going to retire. Our 22-year-old wide receiver is going to retire. That's that's the way the season's going to go. It turns out it wasn't that way, and and uh, you know maybe it's just the pessimism in me, but uh, I'm pretty sure every one of our editors thought the same exact thing. This can't be positive. It's it's either he. You know, hurt himself even more in the middle of the season because he was popping bottles in the club and and uh, what's that stripper that beat the shit out of Jacoby Jones? Um, oh my God, yeah, strawberry or sweet pea? Sweet pea. Sweet that's what pea. It was. Holy shit! I forgot about that story. <laughs> sweet pea beat the crap out of him or something. You know, it, we we thought it was going to be something like that. Uh, no, no, it was just to go. Yeah, I'll be back better next season. Hey guys, which, um, everything they've said up to this point is true. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'll talk to you later. What? <laughs> it was seven minutes of that, and I was like, oh, this is going off so right now. So tore my PCL. Uh, they announced the torn PCL, and they're, <laughs> they're correct in their assessment. Thank you very much for your time. I'll have a great day. What? See you guys next year. What the <laughs> fuck just happened? Yeah. Everybody was like, he's, he's fucking retiring. His knee's shattered. He's... he's <laughs> Brashad Perryman's a fake human, actually. He um he's not real. He's it's just a figment of our imagination. Or he's um or he's actually sixty years old and his hairline's been trying to tell us the entire time. Oh, that's the one I love so much. And you know, look, we're we're Ravens fans first and foremost. Right. But but when we did make that pick, the first thing I thought of is, holy shit, did they pick up like a fifty year old man? Yeah. That that hairline is 
going. <laughs> I remember my favorite was his his forty time is so fast that the hairline <laughs> is receding because of it. he runs so fast it burns the the burns him totally as a six head you know <laughs> like he's so blazing fast his hairline can't catch up. Brashad Perriman does look like an Eddie Murphy character from like the nineties though I gotta Fucking say that. unreal. <laughs> it just is. And then, then to top all of that off, as if that wasn't a bad enough season. That's why men cry for women. That's why women, women. Ray Lewis writes a song to women about how bad the Baltimore Ravens are this year. That's how bad it is. That's the type of season we've had, guys. All right. And, and you know what? At two and seven, Kyle, you mentioned it. Uh, we are we are hoping that we tank the rest of the season so that we get a good first. I pick. would like to. Declare uh, yeah. my new nickname for the uh, Baltimore Beatdown Podcast: the Tank Commander, because I am I'm commanding this team to to tank. All right, I'm leading I'm leading the charge. Me, Kendrick Lewis, and Elvis Doomerville are leading this baby to two and fourteen. <laughs> All right, that's my goal. Now we're gonna switch over. We've done a lot of silly stuff going on right now. So we're going to talk real quick. We're going to talk about uh, do the Ravens actually have the true shot at the first overall selection? I believe we're third right now. I think it's uh, yeah. Lions. Um, who's the second team? Do you even know? It's the Browns. It's, I believe, the Lions. The Browns are ahead of us, really? Yeah, they're they're number one right now. They're two and eight. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, they haven't had their bye yet. That's why. Okay. Yeah. That, but... They kind of hold the tiebreaker over. They like have the tiebreaker over us, don't they? Or we have that over them in the negative aspect because they beat us. Yeah, we we would have it over them if if we were tied up. Right. So if they lose, or if if the Ravens lose this week, I believe the Browns are on their bye this week. Yeah. Um, the Ravens would be tied with them. They would go ahead. The Ravens would would be ahead of the first um, um the the first tiebreakers like strength of schedule, and we have the same one, I believe, don't we? Because I believe I think that actually Cleveland might have a little bit lower, but I I I don't know off the top of my okay. head to be honest. Yeah, it's close because at first they thought our strength was going to be huge, and that's why they had a better they had a harder strength of schedule. But now that we suck, fucking dick, um, <laughs> I think we actually have the uh, the strength of schedule change up on them. I'm not certain though, but I know the second tiebreaker is head to head matchups, and they currently beat the shit out of us with uh, Gary Barnage and his ass catch. Um, but, yeah, do you do you honestly believe this is the worst team in the NFL? Bar none. I, I've said it before. I said it Sunday against the Jaguars. Absolutely. This was a team that, on several different instances, looked lost. They looked outmatched. And this is by a Jacksonville Jaguars defense at the time that was one of the worst in the league. I mean, th- this was the defense that you should be able to tear apart. And while I, I believe Flacco ended the season or ended the game with like 316 yards, he ended it with three fucking interceptions too. So I mean, you know, I'll, I'll take zero interceptions in like 200 yards. I'm down with that. Not 303 interceptions. You're not Matthew Stafford. Right. Um. You know, it's this is absolutely a team that just is is not good. Um, 
And, and yeah, I mean, the the Cleveland Browns at least have something going for them in the fact that they're still trying to figure out their their quarterback situation, and they, they're just as bad as the Ravens are. The fact that the Ravens are just as bad and they have a franchise quarterback is astounding to me. Right. I, it, it and it goes back to the whole idea that again, you know, the, the ball has just bounced the wrong way for the for the Ravens. Um, you know, we are where we are. Right. But yeah, this is absolutely the worst football team in, in yeah in America. You believe they're worse than the Detroit Lions? Yes. Really? Okay. Do you 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 absolutely thirty two teams. This is number thirty two. Yeah. Do you think now it, it, are, through the, are we saying in pure talent? Or are we saying in the way they're playing? See, that, yeah, that's a good question because that that definitely divides it up. Uh, the way they're playing, I agree that they're thirty second out of thirty second. You know. Um, by talent, do you still have them as the worst team in football? No. No, I, I think this is one of the more talented teams in the league. If Even with the injuries, I think this is still one of the more talented league, or talented teams in the league. Really? Uh, that, that's surprising. When, when you have a franchise quarterback, you've got a good running back. You've still got all the pieces of one of the better offensive lines in the league. You have all the pieces of one of the better defensive lines in the league. You've got a solid front seven. You don't have the other end of the pass rush in, in Terrell Suggs, but you have one half of the pass rush that led the league last season um, as a combo, Terrell Suggs and, and Elvis Doomerville. Right. This is not a bad team. It's a team that's missing specific pieces. It's missing wide receivers. It's it's now missing its center and its left tackle. It, it's missing secondary members. But even that... Most of this team's problem has just been poor play. It's been players not living up to expectations. It's players maybe still hurt in C.J. Mosley and uh, Jimmy Smith's, uh, you know, part. But it, it's it's a team that even right now has all the pieces to still be a playoff contender uh-huh. if they just fucking played up the potential. <laughs> I, I would agree. I'm agreeing on uh, that we're one of the better teams in the NFL for talent. Uh, just in the specific parts, we're not. Wide receiver, terrible at it. Cornerbacks uh, and defensive backs, terrible at it. And and uh, pass rush, we're currently terrible at it. We don't. We have the worst pass rush linebacker in the NFL in Courtney Upshaw. You know, instead of Terrell Suggs, who's a top five prolific pass rush every fucking year. So those specific. Cogs are what's ruining the team right now. It's those key players. You need somebody that can get to the quarterback. Terrell Suggs is gone. You need a person that can catch passes from the quarterback. Steve Susiener is gone. Kamar Aiken and Chris Givens are the only two that start for any other NFL team. And finally, you have people that can catch passes against quarterbacks. Defensive backs, obviously, is what I mean. Um, Jimmy Smith hasn't played up to potential. Ladarius Webb, for some reason, is the best cornerback rated on our team. Will Davis was great, by the way, and I missed the fuck out of that kid. And he's gone. Everybody's gone. And yeah. it's injuries. It's injuries. It's injuries. It's injuries. It's injuries. It's injuries. We've said it all season. Yeah. <sighs> it, it, it's, it, it makes me laugh every single time that we talk about this, Kyle, but at the beginning of the season yeah. in training camp, you and I were super pumped for this team. And the thing that I'm sure I can find the audio of it, and I probably will at some point in time, we we said, and I'll just just give a general synopsis, I'll paraphrase, 
But we said with if this team can stay healthy, it's a Super Bowl winner. And then almost immediately, <laughs> it was like injury, 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 injured reserve, injured reserve, injured reserve, injured reserve. That guy's not even probably hurt, but injured reserve. We, we put Michael Campanero yeah. on injured reserve, and the dude was only going to miss four games. Yep. The, uh, <laughs> the thing that drives me absolutely nuts is I believe a third of our team from the start of the season is actually yeah. on injured reserve. One-third of the roster at the beginning of the season – is on injured reserve. Over $20 million yeah. is on IR players. It's, Holy we, I think, fuck! Uh, <laughs> I think the Ravens officially put their 18th player on injured reserve, meaning that that's exactly it, Kyle. It is one-third of the active yeah, roster. It's on, it's on fucking real. And it's it's not even like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were the, the team just ahead of the Ravens, right. uh, with 19 on injured reserve. Yeah, they have a few players that are, you know, your Le'Veon Bells, which is that's a huge, devastating blow uh, for the Steelers. That's not your entire fucking secondary, though. I mean, literally, we don't have anyone at at outside corner anymore. Everyone we put there is hurt. Yep. Everyone at wide receiver hurt. We're starting Chris Givens. We we traded for the guy week five, a seventh round pick. In 2018, a 7th round pick in 2018. We're not even willing to give him a 2016 pick. It's He's starting. He's number one on the depth chart. Jesus Christ. It's, it's just astounding to me how much bad luck this team has had. And to go back to our previous caller, it, it, it's probably whining to a certain degree. But holy hell... I mean, it's being kicked in the nuts so many times and then trying to wonder why you're infertile. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> it's I, to, to go back to the original question, Kyle, at this point, the Ravens have a 16.88% chance of picking number one. That is a gain of 9.64% since the bye week. Jesus Christ. So... If the Ravens keep tanking, man, that percentage is going right tank, through the roof. Tank, so. tank, 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 tank. <laughs> oh, man. All right. What a terrible season. Going on, real quick, we're going to discuss uh, compensatory draft trading. The league is now saying next year's draft, you can trade your compensatory draft picks, which is huge for the Ravens, honestly. I would ask the questions, is this a benefit for Baltimore? But it's clearly a yes. Ravens usually have all four compensatory draft selections. We've had it every year because we lose a fucking good player. Pernell McPhee was last year. The year before that, I can't I can't keep going off and off and off. We lost Anquan one year. We lost Torrey Smith this year. We lost everybody every goddamn year. So, obviously, this is going to be a bonus for the Ravens. They'll be able to trade draft picks, hopefully trade up more often instead of down, as the Ravens seem to do so very frequently. This could benefit the Ravens in the fact that Ozzie might be more willing to tr- part with those uh, second, third, and fourth round, excuse me, third, fourth, and fifth round compensatory draft selections. Matt, do you agree? I absolutely agree. I mean, it's, uh, I believe when I was writing up the article about it, the, the Ravens have the most since the comp pick uh, formula was started in 1994. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, the Ravens weren't a franchise until 1996. So even minus two years, the Ravens are the leader in the league by something like nine fucking picks. I mean, nine picks. That's that's a huge difference. 
Um, and you mentioned it, Kyle. I, I think even right now the Ravens are on par to get four picks uh, this season for the draft. It is going to be a huge bonus for Ozzie Newsome. And, and like you said, to be able to package something like a, a second and a fourth round comp pick to move up into the upper end of the second round, you know that that's that's a big difference. Or even for that matter, uh, to to you know, a third and maybe a, a fourth and a fifth to move back into the second to grab that second-round talent that, that maybe should have even been a first-round talent that the Ravens love to get uh, in, in the mid to late second round. It, it, it makes all the difference in the world. It, it, is, it is a big, big thing and um, something that the Ravens have always been good at just got even better. Wonderful. I'm excited about it. But turning to, uh, do we have any more injury news to discuss, Matt? Any at all? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about it just a little bit ago. Uh, the Ravens put first-round draft pick and wide receiver Brashad Perryman on injured reserve. To follow that up, they also went ahead and put cornerback uh, Asad Jackson on injured reserve. Uh, today he actually was just uh, switched over to waived with an injury settlement. Right. Uh, so technically he doesn't count against the injured reserve list. Um, cause let's shorten that up a little bit. Um, and then the Ravens also moved their center, Jeremy Zuta to injured reserve with a torn pectoral muscle. Uh, looks like he's going to have to get surgery on that in order to come back properly next season. So, uh, as we mentioned, Kyle, this is, I believe 18 people on injured reserve for the Ravens, uh, this season. And uh, who who knows, man? We we play the Rams next, and uh, you know they destroy everybody they play. <laughs> exactly, I'm I'm sure Kamar Aiken will probably tear like a you know a calf muscle and be out for the rest of the year or something. Who the hell knows? Also, side note, I'm uh, looking at the NFL premiere photo for um, Blake Bortles and Marcus Mariota playing today. They spelled Blake Bortles' name wrong. On the, Did on they the, uh, on the ESPN NFL like? Advertisement. It's Bortels. So, oh my God, you're right. Yeah, I just looked at it. I was like, Oh my God, that's is that really backwards? It is. <laughs> look, look, even the NFL doesn't believe in the matchup. That's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> we'll post that here into the comments for those uh, following at home. <laughs> Oh, that is fantastic! It is it is B O R T E L S. Uh, yeah, T E L S. It's supposed to be B O R T L E S. Uh, it's Bortles versus Bortles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's pronounced that way. So yeah, I mean, somebody at the NFL uh, graphic design offense just screwed up because, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, but yeah, as far as injury news, I mean, it, it's the same old, same old. Like I said, the center's, uh, he, he's now on injured reserve. Uh, Brashad Perriman's now on injured reserve. The Ravens went ahead and waived Jeremy Ross. Uh, that's what happens when you fumble again. Um, and, and yeah, Asa Jackson got moved uh, just today to an injury, or excuse me, a injury settlement. So he was waived, not put on injured reserve. But initially he was set to injured reserve. So uh, with all that saying, Kyle, we have the next game coming up. And and we talked about it just a second ago. Somebody's probably going to get hurt in this game. It is the St. Louis Rams at the Baltimore Ravens. We actually have a specialist here with us today. 
It is Joseph McAtee. Uh, you can find him over on Turf Show Times. Uh, that is SB Nation's sister site for the St. Louis Rams. And we're actually bringing him in right this second, so give us just a second. Uh, but Joe McAtee, again, TurfShowTimes.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at 3K underscore. Again, that is at 3K underscore. That is on Twitter. Uh, so, Kyle, I'm going to ask you before we get started, uh, who do you think wins this game? St. Louis Rams. <laughs> what do you think the final score is going to be? Do you think it's going to be a blowout for the St. Louis Rams? It's going to be one to uh, too many points to count. One to too many points to count. That's what I got to ask. <laughs> too many to count. St. Louis Rams are going to uh, – this is going to be an ugly defensive battle for the Rams. Uh, they're going to be trying their best to uh, stop Joe Flacco, I believe. And uh, they will successfully with um, John Urschel. His very first game at starting center is going up against fucking Aaron Donald. The league's rookie of the year last season, beating out C.J. Mosley and Khalil Mack. This dude is the best in the league, or top three at least, as a defensive tackle or nose tackle in the NFL on their uh, versatility scheme. I know they run a 4-3, but he is a bad man. I yeah, am a bad it, man. Oh, <laughs> Joe, Joe Magatee is a bad, bad man. What's up, guys? Hey, how you How's doing, it brother? going, Joe? Doing we right. got Joe McAtee from the Turf Show Times. Again, we just mentioned that, uh, turfshowtimes.com. It's SB Nation's sister site for the St. Louis Rams. Uh, and you can follow him at 3K underscore. Again, that is at 3K underscore. I, I, first and foremost, I've got to ask you, are they going to be the St. Louis Rams for much longer? Or uh, are they? does it look like they're sticking around? Are you swinging low already? I'm swinging low, man. I, I've got to do something. The Ravens are going to lose this game, so I got to get my cheap shots in while I can. Jeez. Are you? Sh- wait, 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 wait. We're sure about that. You guys are sure that you guys are losing the game. Have you? Uh, you obviously haven't paid attention to the Rams over the last decade. So, okay, let's reset this. So two different questions, right? How bad are the Rams, and how much are they moving? If we're, it, the, I try to desensitize these things when I come on podcasts because nobody wants 30 minutes of economic <laughs> philosophy, right, and cartel, you know, you know, psychology when you come to the NFL. If I had to guess if the Rams are going to be in St. Louis, I would guess not. Um, but I would also say there are certain things that have to happen that haven't happened yet, and until those things happen, nothing's certain. Right. So for St. Louis fans that are hoping to keep the team, that there's certainly a chance of that happening. For Los Angeles fans who hope to see the team return, there's definitely a chance of that happening. But it's still honestly too early to uh, make any predictions. What I will say is that if you guys are certain that you're going to lose to the St. Louis Rams, you have not watched the St. Louis Rams. This is a team that lost to Washington on the road in week two. This is a team that lost the last two games to Chicago and uh, last week, obviously, in a, in a needed win against Chicago to get their season back after going to Minnesota, this is not a team that really puts forth a great effort when you expect them to. This is a surprise team that can surprise you in both ways. I love the Rams for this, too, because every, <laughs> game, every fucking game is a coin flip. You have no idea. Unless it's a divisional game, Jeff Fisher's amazing in divisional games. He'll, he'll go into Seattle and punch everybody in the mouth. He'll go to Arizona and he'll whoop some ass. 
You'll go to uh, you'll go to San Francisco, even when they were powerhouse squad, and uh, and just kick them in the teeth. But any game outside the division, you have no fucking clue what's going to happen. You know what that means, though, is that the Rams finished their season on the road in San Francisco, obviously this being the worst San Francisco team in a long time. Right. I can almost guarantee the Rams are going to lose that game. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put to just, bet, like, that's, that's what they do. It's just what they do. It is. Like, like you say, it is. the psychology and philosophy of this team, that's what they've always been about. They just never fucking get it together when they need to. They never do it. So, so what I'm hearing is that the St. Louis Rams are the NFC's version of the Cleveland Browns. But but with more obvious potential, right? Yes. Cleveland, Cleveland has all these guys that you can point to as busts. Somehow the Rams have all these great draft picks that everybody <laughs> loves. Aaron Donald, Robin Qu- Robert Quinn's amazing. Oh, look at Todd Gurley. They've got all this talent. And then at the same time, they still find a way to not even get a winning record since 2003. We haven't had a winning record since 2003, and yet you've got the RG3 trade that stacked all this young talent up, Jeff Fisher, who was supposed to bring this team together. It doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen by design, and that's, I think, what's frustrating is that it's consistently uh, frustrating. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it can be, and I know uh, Ravens fans, we're not used to losing, so this is especially bitter for us at 2-7. and seven. Uh <laughs> I will say this. You said that uh, we haven't watched the Rams recently. You must not have watched the Ravens. <laughs> they are bad. They, they, I mean, come on. Joe Flacco threw three interceptions. Uh, there, there was, or excuse me, two interceptions that I believe he fumbled. Uh, there was a fumble uh, on a kickoff or a punt. Uh, this was a team that lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They, they let Josh McCown, a backup that's 36 years old, toss nearly 500 yards on him. So, I, I, are we going to play the game of who's the worst? I oh. think it's the Ravens. Yeah, I'm, 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 here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll cede to you guys that you guys have 2015 in the bag for who's the worst. Uh, I live Thank in you. the D.C. area, so I've seen a couple Ravens games, and certainly, uh, based on my observations, yeah, I would agree with you that perhaps you guys aren't Super Bowl bound in 2015. <laughs> uh, but I, I, w- I would say this. You, you mentioned that you guys aren't used to it, and, and I already you know dropped that nugget that the Rams haven't had a winning – again, we haven't had one winning season in 12 years. So it's not like losing is something that's frustrating. It's the, it's the Bane quote from Dark Knight Rises, right? You guys, you guys are new to the darkness. We were born in it, man. We've been losing for 12 years. You can't bring a one bad season to us. Come on, dude. <laughs> Uh, I can go ahead and bring 18 people on injured reserve. So who you're playing against yeah. is probably going to be me. Yeah. Well, we've done that. 2000, 2012, we had eight cornerbacks on injured reserve, 13 total <laughs> for the season. So look, I mean, you've got a full house, aces high, and we've got kings high. That's a good hand. That's a good battle to go <laughs> in. All right. All right. We're moving on. we got to move on just a little bit now. Get actually to our actual road up part of the fucking show. <laughs> Instead of uh, talking about whose team is worse, I love the argument. Trust me. Trust me, it's been it's been fun, but that's want... Rams football, man. That's about all we got. So I might be thin on responses from here on out. Exactly, exactly. Now I'm gonna first off, start off with the offense and what's going on with the quarterback position. Nick Foles is now benched, and you have Case Keenum starting. Is that correct? Good Lord, is it ever? Is that the most Rams thing ever that you've gone from Nick Foles to Case Keenum? 
no, that is, <laughs> is fact, it the most Ravens thing? Right. Is it the most Ravens thing ever that the Ravens last lost to Case Keenum in his only like two wins ever? Oh God damn it! And you know, you know how you know how much that excites Rams fans. Like they, I literally, I literally saw somebody talking about how Case Keenum was going to take the Rams to the Super Bowl this year. A four and five to uh, hey. What? <laughs> Give Rams credit. They nothing, nothing will douse the optimism of some of our most faithful. Oh my God! Oh my God! That's gold. Okay. Okay. So, you got Case Keenum starting uh, one to ten, dead serious. How confident are you with him coming into this matchup against the Ravens' defense? So it's not a, it's not as much about Keenum against the Ravens' defense, right? I, I guess I'll say a three. I think the problem is everything else around the quarterback and the Rams' offense, which is part of the reason why they had to get rid of Nick Foles. And, and it's not even get rid of Nick Foles. It's the same reason they traded Nick Foles for Sam Bradford. It's just that the whole system isn't working, right? Okay. When you've got wide receiver, and you guys have Chris Givens. Chris Givens was a component of our offense. You guys right. see he's got some talent, but he just wasn't blending into this system. And the system is predicated on a strong offensive line and a running game. The passing game is an afterthought, and that seems very anathema to 2015 football, which kind of explains why the Rams haven't won games consistently. Um, I I think if you're looking for whether or not Case Keenum is going to be successful, you're already looking in the wrong place. The Rams aren't really predicated on getting much out of the quarterback. It's just that the little that they're asking to get out of him, they haven't gotten in the last couple weeks with Nick Foles. So is it going to be Case Keenum or not? I'm not sure, but they need the rest of the pieces to step up more than anything. All right, and what do you think is the biggest, uh, the, the keys that you're mentioning, what's the biggest one that you're looking for and hoping to see this Sunday? It's going to be offensive line. So the Rams already have some big injuries that they're dealing with. They lost both of their starting guards from week one. Roger Saffold went out a couple weeks ago, and now Jamon Brown, one of the two rookies on the line, he's gone for the season. So they've already had to move to two reserve guards. Uh, Greg Robinson, who was the number two overall pick in the 2014 NFL draft, is not blossoming into the kind of talent that you want to see a number two overall pick blossom into in his second year. Uh, They've got Rob Havenstein. He's had some injury issues the last couple of weeks. He probably will be going again this weekend, uh, but he's not really 100%. Uh, a successful rookie season by any measure, but again, he's still a rookie. He's still working through some some things, especially in pass protection. Absolutely. And then at the center position, they've got Ten Barnes, who didn't have a ton of uh, experience out of Missouri going into this year. So you've already got some personnel issues that you're dealing with because of the injury attrition. You've got a lack of experience. It's not exactly the centerpiece that you want out of an offense that more or less by system is designed to be the piece that you lean on. I think that's going to be the number one key for the Rams moving forward. And of course that means this weekend as well. Okay. All right. Now I want to get into the, the special uh, players, you know, the, the wide receivers, the tight ends. I want to go over them first. Uh, Kenny Britt, do you like, what you've seen, uh, you're already laughing. That's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Kenny Britt, uh, are you liking anything that you're seeing from him this season? Do you think, uh, are you confident in him going up against Jimmy Smith, Lardarius Webb, or even uh, Kyle Arrington in the slot if by some chance Kenny Britt is thrown in the slot ever? Yeah, so here's the problem with the Rams passing offense is most teams, when you say, are you confident about them, you're looking for four, five, six, seven catches, right? You're looking for a quarterback to essentially try to exploit a guy for 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 plus yards for a good player. Rams don't do that. They just don't. Um, to, for, for Kenny Britt to be successful in this offense, you're looking for one play. Just one play. It can be pass interference. It can be a catch. It's just one play because the Rams don't pass the ball in volume successfully. And that's by design. 
can they find success in Kenny Brand? I, they can. They've done it pretty much 50% of the games. They've gotten one big play out of Kenny Britt. The problem is everybody else on the roster hasn't done anything. Jared Cook is probably public enemy number one for Rams fans. Yep. He's <laughs> the highest paid tight ends in the league, nearly as much as Rob Gronkowski, and yet he makes as much production on the field as Rob Gronkowski's left toe. And I say that during the games, not on a Friday night. Rob Gronkowski's left toe on a Friday night is incredibly productive. Uh, <laughs> other tight end, Lance Kendricks has been pretty much a no-show in the passing game. He's a useful blocker in the run game, but he's not going to offer anything in the passing game except for a huge drop on a wheel route earlier on in the season when he was as wide open as you'll find anybody. I think it was one of those things where he's so wide open, like a three-point shooter in the NBA. He's so wide open that he misses it. But in the NFL, that's enough to uh, frustrate fans and you know do the kind of things on Twitter that people, that grown men shouldn't be doing. Um, as for the rest of the receivers, I mean – it's it's one of those things that Stedman Bailey and uh, Brian Quick they're just not they're not productive NFL receivers in this system they're not going to be and it's one of these weird things where you have to just realize as a Rams fan this isn't going to work it's not it's not going to produce tons and tons of yards it's not going to produce touchdowns the only way you're going to win games is through the defense and through Todd Gurley in the running game and if you're looking for something in the passing game you're already you just and I say this to you guys I mean obviously you guys are Rams fans but for any Rams fans that might be listening that's just not the place to look it's not going to happen that's not the way we're built okay uh i do gotta ask uh one of my favorite players that i wanted coming into the draft a few years ago was Tavon austin um he was he was used mainly as a gadget player for the first couple years with uh i believe it was it shot was it schottenheimer was using him Brian schottenheimer correct yes fucking public enemy number one a few years back before uh jared cook really fucked everybody else over in st louis um is is he doing well this season? I, I haven't been able to look into it enough yet, and uh, I was expecting good things out of him because our cornerback depth is absolutely atrocious. We've been playing like terrible motherfuckers. Uh, I think the only positively rated player for PFF style uh, cornerbacks is Lardarius Webb, and his is like a 1.1, so it's barely even positive. Um, Kyle Arrington's done terribly in the slot, and I know that's where Tavon should be. Uh, doing his routes and his agility, I feel like, could get some serious yards after the catch in such scenarios. Is he able to do that this season? He is, but it's not really agility. It's just speed, right? So in terms of what he's been doing this year, there's more production. There's more from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, But part of that is just the way that they're using him. Uh, Tavon Austin is one of those guys that's best suited for NFL Blitz. Everybody remembers that video game, right? Yes. He's not a guy that's best suited for Madden. You can't have a guy that small who can't run routes as a wide receiver and obviously can't line up as a running back because he's that tiny. The only right. thing you can do with him is use him as a speed threat, and especially if you're not going to run him deep, which the Rams don't do because they don't trust their offensive line and they want to use the running back as a threat. Mm-hmm. The only thing they can do is drag him across the field, and the problem is that's relatively easy for teams to defend if they're concentrated on it. Yeah. And that's what we've seen, is that teams are focused on, whether it's zone, handing, up, handing Tavon off between the zones and asking somebody else to sit in between the spots, and nobody can do that reliably. And obviously with Nick Foles, it wasn't uh, a successful kind of chemistry between him and the timing of the other guys to get in between those zone spots on the defense. Right. But now moving forward, we'll have to see with Case Keenum. But also in terms of man, if you've got somebody dragging with them, there's always going to be somebody willing to pick up the pieces, whether it's a safety at the back or an extra linebacker or whatever, that can make sure that they're covering down on Tavon. 
the, the problem for the Rams is they don't have anybody else that can threaten the defense. So he's an incredible talent, right? He's incredibly fast. His acceleration, his acceleration is elite. He doesn't really have any jukes. He doesn't really break tackles, but he's so fast that he's useful in an offense. The Rams just haven't gotten enough pieces and enough scheme around him to make as productive as I think everybody would have hoped coming out of West Virginia. Okay, I got one more question for wide receivers. Wes Welker's now on your team. He played nine snaps last game. He was targeted on six of those snaps. I believe he only caught three of the passes, uh, and he ha- he did decent. Obviously, if you're in on nine snaps and you get – if you're targeted on literally 66% of them, you feel like that's some great production, especially since he showed up. I don't even think he had two weeks to study the playbook yet. Do you think he's going to be a threat against the Ravens? I do, but I think that's because of how inept the Rams' passing attack was, right? I mean, that tells you that tells you how useless this passing attack was, that you can pick Wes Welker off the street, and he immediately becomes your best third-down wide receiver. Why the hell wasn't Wes Welker on this team in week one? I, nobody has an answer. That's the kind of common sense thing that you would have thought about going into a football game. We don't have anybody that's useful on third-down. What about this guy who's done a career of it? Uh, let's wait till week nine. What? What? Why? Why would you do that? Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, certainly I think you could see the same thing, you know, maybe a dozen or so snaps. Uh, Obviously, if the Rams get as much third down volume as they did, I'd expect him to get targeted on it, especially if they can get in better position on shorter third downs. Uh, But, yeah, I think that's a bigger issue for the Rams passing offense than it is about Wes Welker specifically. Okay, that makes sense. You, you mentioned that obviously the passing game is not the forefront of the Rams' attack by any stretch of the imagination, and, and some of that I imagine has to come down to the offensive line's just been bad, and, and the quarterback situation has never been all that good there either. Is is it something where if the Rams can kind of get healthy on the offensive line moving forward outside this season and can maybe pick up a strong-armed quarterback? It, it seems like the Rams have things in place to maybe take some shots down the field in future years, whether it be with Tavon Austin or even Kenny Britt for that matter. Is that really all the Rams that are, is that the only thing that the Rams are missing right there? Or is it, is it more just scheme at this point that it's more regardless of what's going on? Yeah, it's more scheme. I mean, they're just not going to do it. I mean, the fact that they're willing to get rid of Chris Givens, you guys have seen him. He's an NFL caliber wide receiver. The fact that the Rams were willing to get rid of him is just that he doesn't have value in this offense because that's not what they do. It's really not. I mean, the Rams will go downfield a couple of times a game, but it's not with any consistency. It's not with any really aggression. Uh, they're just willing to do it when they get desperate every, so, uh, every now and then. The, the offense is built on the ability to run the ball. Uh, to play physical football and allow the defense to really punish things and play a better field position game than anything. It, it, it really doesn't matter, and this is why, whether it's been Sam Bradford or Kellen Clemens or Nick Foles or Case Keenum or whoever's on the offensive line, remember, this is an offensive line going into week one of this year that only had one starter compared to week one of 2014, right? They completely overhauled the offensive line in a year, and it really doesn't matter who you put on there because that's not what they're built to do. They're not really built to run this complex passing game. They're built to run a passing game that's built off the running game. Uh, And if there's no running game, there's no passing game. If there is a running game, then maybe there's a passing game. We'll see. We'll work on it. We'll get get there. We'll see if there's time for that. But for the most part, it's really just getting the running game going and leaning on that, and everything else is just surplus. So, you know, I I don't think it's a matter of getting the right piece of quarterback as long as Jeff Fisher's the coach. 
again, like you mentioned, Brian Schottenheimer was his offensive coordinator last year. He goes to Georgia. Fisher had an opportunity to go out and get somebody who could bring an offensive mindset and kind of change things in Rams Park. He promoted from within, and there's a reason. It's because he's comfortable with this kind of design. It's what he's always ran. It's something that he wants to promote continuously, whether it's uh, you know with Todd Gurley, with Trey Mason, with Zach Stacy, whoever the running back du jour is that he's drafted. This is how he runs his football team. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of the Ravens over the last few years in which, you know, heavy run team uh, just don't screw it up at quarterback for the most part. And a, a terrible, terrible defense in, in the positive sense that, you know, they're going to punish you all game long yeah. until you eventually make a mistake. And, and sadly for the Rams, it just hasn't translated into two Super Bowls. It's translated into what you guys have been dealing with over the last decade. Uh, you know, maybe that's just the NFC versus the AFC. It's maybe it's just the fact that the ball hasn't bounced your way the proper way. But uh, you know, it is a shame to see a team that's kind of modeled after the Ravens, and, and obviously the Ravens know Jeff Fisher well with his time in, in Tennessee. Uh, you know, and even the Central Division here in the AFC when the Ravens were first coming up. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it's a shame to see a team that's kind of built so much like the Ravens that uh, just can't seem to get it done in any real sense. Sure. And I think part of it is, too, you guys have sprinkled in enough. You know, when you talk about Anquan Bolton and obviously Steve Smith, there's always been passing threats. There's always been the opportunity to convert on third and five outside of the running game. Uh, I think the other big difference is the inconsistency of uh, responsibility when it comes to things like penalties. Uh, and other coaching responsibilities that just haven't translated to the field. Um, the big hashtag that we like to use is we'll fix it. Everything is a we'll fix it problem for the Rams. If there's penalties, eh, we'll fix it. Third down conversions, which, by the way, the Rams were 5 of 49 for after the bye week uh, for the first three games. Again, that, those, that's not a, a, type, a verbal typo. Five third down conversions out of 49 opportunities. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> special. It's laughable, it is, but that's where the Rams are, right? That's a wheel-fix-it problem in week 10 of the NFL season. Eh, we're working on these other things, but we're going to get there, and when we do, yeah, everything's going to turn out sparkles and glitter. Um, It's just not something that the Rams bring to the table comprehensively. When you've got penalties and the lack of a passing offense, it's great to have that defense, and when you play teams like Cleveland and San Francisco, and the defense is clicking, and you get enough out of Todd Gurley in the running game, that's enough to win games 20-6, to you know, 23 to 14, those kind of wins that the Rams have eked out this season. It's ugly, but it works. The problem is against teams that are more comprehensively talented and aggressive when you're speaking of, you know, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and obviously the last two weeks, Minnesota and Chicago, when your defense can't immediately stop them in the first half and you're down six points, how, is, how are the Rams going to come back in those games? They just don't have the tools to do it. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, you mentioned third downs. Uh, the Ravens are probably one of the worst teams, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, at uh, getting off the field on third downs for their defense. So, uh, you know, if, if your offense can't get uh, can't keep drives going on third oh, down, the Ravens will absolutely give you a few of them. And, the battle uh, of ineptitude. This is going to – yeah, I like the way this is shaping up. <laughs> it's, it's the way the last few weeks have been. I mean, I think I even pointed it out with the, the Jaguars game last week. It's all a matter of who's going to shoot themselves in the foot and who's going to stop at some point. Um you know, the, the Ravens shot themselves in the foot on the last play of the game, and, and that was it. So, um, you know, if the Rams can eventually stop shooting themselves in the foot at some point in this game, they're going to win out pretty easily. 
Um, it's 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 going to be one of those games, and I don't know if how bad the Rams are at penalties or anything like that, but the Ravens are one of the the worst penalized teams in the league. Uh, so if the Rams are anywhere close, this is going to be a very slow and monotonous game uh, that's probably going to require a fair amount of alcohol to get through. Well, the the difference is you guys usually drink your alcohol. We just pour it right into our eye sockets. So. It, it, <laughs> I appreciate that answer. <laughs> you guys will get that. I mean, that's the thing. When you're talking about, like, you know, seven penalties, nine penalties, 11 penalties, yeah, that's a drinking. That's like, okay, I need I need the alcohol to soothe the pain. When you start getting into, like, 15 penalties back-to-back weeks, you, you, find, you find new creative ways for alcohol to soothe those questions. And, again, then you get your Monday press conference. Yeah, the penalties, those were, uh, those were problematic. We're going to fix that. We're going to really address that this week because those need to come down. Okay, great. It's – it is a lot better than the Harbaugh answer of, I don't know what you're talking about, penalties. We didn't have a lot of penalties. Dude, you had 10 for 109 yards. Nah. Maybe that's the growth factor is right now it's we'll fix it, uh, and then it'll turn into Nile. What are the five stages of inept coaching into during an NFL season? We need to write these down and see where we're at for the Rams. It's, it's this season I've, almost, I've said uh, you know, to, to my staff that it's almost like Harbaugh's like a five-year-old that knocked over a bag of flour. John, did you knock over that bag of flour while I was in the shower? What, what bag of flour? The one that's all over the kitchen? I don't know what you're talking about. John, you were the only one here. Nah, yeah, it's it's that type of uh, of attitude here in Baltimore in terms of that stuff. Injuries? Brashad Perryman didn't get injured again. It, it, he heard a pop. No, no, he didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. You're putting him on IR. Nah, it's getting well, absolutely again. Ridiculous. And the thing is, you guys have standards, so you guys aren't used to this. Like, you got to remember. <laughs> The Rams went all in on Sam Bradford last year and lost him in the preseason, which yeah. means we turned to Sean Hill as our week one starter, and then at halftime, we decided to, we decided to bench him and act like there was an injury. Where, where did the injury happen? Because he played the entire first half. Oh, it was, it was a leg injury. When? Oh, that, uh, the last throw of the half. The last throw? That's awfully coincidental. He seemed to throw that all right. Yeah, he just heard something, so we're going to go with Austin Davis. Austin Davis. Austin Davis, the UDFA who you've cut two years in a row. That's awesome. So you, see, you guys just ignore the problems. We bathe in them. We wash ourselves in the ineptitude. It's special. And, and the difference is you guys know, and you guys know this is Ravens fans, that this is temporary, right? You guys know yeah. there's a lot of issues, but things are going to get fixed. Things will get addressed. Things don't really get addressed in the rant. We just kind of rearrange the problems, like, okay, there's a stain on this seat cushion. Uh, let's just move that seat cushion to the other side of the couch, like, and that's the part that other people sit on. We'll just see how that works out. The Rams are really address issues. They just kind of massage them and move them around. Uh, it's, a, it's a different mentality. And, I, again, that's why the Rams haven't won. You guys, are, you guys know winning. You guys have people, you know, for all the jokes about Joe Flacco being a lead and all this other stuff and all the drama, whatever – you guys have a Super Bowl. You guys have wins. You guys have winning seasons. You can joke about John Harbaugh. Jeff Fisher has another winning season in eleven years. Eleven years. That's that's true. I you know uh, again maybe I'm bitter over the fact that we're bad this season, but uh, I imagine you know bad for that long just gets way past bitterness and just turns to funny. It does, and what's weird is I think there's a fair argument, and you've got to hear me out. I know you guys might be biased on this. I think there's a fair argument to be made that the hot seat is hotter for John Harbaugh than it is for Jeff Fisher. I would agree. You know what? 
I I wrote something about this earlier in the season, and everyone blasted me for it because how in the world could it be a hot seat? The dude went to is going two and seven right now with with a Super Bowl caliber roster. Now, granted, injuries have happened, all that good stuff, but we've seen this team shed a Super Bowl winning quarter, uh, uh, both a quarterback and a coach, not too far along from winning that Super Bowl because they went. Five and, and eleven in the case of Brian Billick, and right now John Harbaugh's two and seven. Uh, it, it, while it wouldn't make a ton of sense if you look at the overall career, it might make a lot of sense if you start talking about the guy might not have the locker room, and, and maybe I don't know Fisher's situation on that front. I don't know if maybe the players are just whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I absolutely think that the the seat is getting hotter for John Harbaugh. Uh, by the week. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I don't think the seat's getting hotter for Jeff, Jeff Fisher. I think that's the way. I mean, you talk about the locker room. He's a great locker room coach. Former player. Uh, came up through USC. Played for the Bears. Worked his way up through the coaching system. He knows how to manage. I'll get, you got to give Jeff Fisher credit for this. He knows how to manage the ins and out of a 17-week regular season, right? He knows how to handle injuries. He knows how to keep people motivated. This isn't, you know, previous installations of the Rams where you could tell the team's quote-unquote giving up, where the team's not, you know, playing uh, 60 minutes. That's not these Rams. That's not, that's not uh, the case under Jeff Fisher. I think the difference is, you you also know that where well, like I'm saying you guys have these standards right standards where this needs to get fixed for the Rams it's things where look this just isn't getting fixed you you just need to adjust okay that we are not going to have a passing offense period when you don't have that what else can you do you guys other teams would say well you got to get a passing offense Rams don't do that I literally had people on Twitter arguing with me saying, look, look how bad this team was before. This is today, mind you. I'm not talking years ago. I'm talking today. (laughs) Year four of Jeff Fisher, yet to turn a single 500 record out for the team in year four with all the draft picks that he's had that said, look, look how bad the team was before he got here. It's an obvious success, the fact that he's improved the team. We've We've literally won 20 games in the last three years. And we still not we're still on track to go seven and nine this year. What is what is wrong with people? And I get it, we're Ransans. We've been abused to the point where we don't even understand what standards are anymore. It just amazes me how much people are willing to tolerate from this franchise, man. I you know, it's it's it is depressing to talk about on that front. So what we'll do is we'll actually we'll talk a little about Todd Gurley. He's the bright spot on this offense for the St. Louis Rams right now. Sure. I mean, it, it seems like every week all the talk I ever hear on Twitter is Todd Gurley did this, Todd Gurley did that. Uh, he was a guy that I was excited for, and I, I wanted the Ravens to draft in the first round. Uh, sadly, that didn't happen. We got a 53-year-old wide receiver that's on IR. Um, so, you know, t- talk to me about Todd Gurley. What's going on there? Is he really as good as all the Twitter uh, buzz is, is about on him? He is. I mean, he's an incredible talent uh, as an individual talent that doesn't require, uh, you know, the kind of cooperative talents around him to maximize his potential, at least so far in his rookie year. I think the problem is, and and this is why I argued, and I know uh, you guys probably wouldn't have seen this, but for Rams fans, I was very against the pick when it happened in the draft, not because of Todd Gurley, the prospect, and not because he couldn't improve the team's running game, it was that the team's running game had already been improved pretty markedly. The Rams had already drafted four running backs in the last three drafts, 
running back was not a position of need, right? They've had two rookie running backs the last two years in Trey Mason in 2014, Zach Stacey in 2013, that would have eclipsed 1,000 yards if they had played all 16 games. Right. Uh, and just like Todd Gurley this year, they they never hit 16 games as a rookie because for them, Jeff Fisher hates rookies, but for Todd Gurley, he was still rehabbing from his knee injury at the University of Georgia. What I think is interesting is that it's not necessarily translating to wins in a consistent basis. First game in, obviously not as a starter, but coming in against the Steelers, had six carries for nine yards. The Rams score six points. That's not going to get it done. Next week, they yeah. play Arizona. He puts forth a very impressive game, especially in the fourth quarter. For the first three games, he really wasn't effective, but in the fourth quarter, he went for over 100 yards in that quarter alone, helped seal the win. The next game is really the concern I had drafting Todd Gurley. He had a, he had a great game, 30 carries, more than 125 yards. The Rams still got plastered by the, by the Packers. They only scored 10 points. So when you can have that great of a game, when you can have that great of an individual effort, and it still only results in 10 points, how much does having a great individual like ta- a talent like that really improve your offense? And the, I mean, the, the factual answer is not that much. And that's the real concern for the Rams moving forward is that essentially they're getting what they got out of Steven Jackson, a Hall of Fame caliber talent at running back who, because of some of the other inconsistencies and incapabilities around the rest of the team, isn't going to lead to wins. And that's what, that's what you're supposed to be getting is wins. And especially with yeah. your first-round draft pick, if you're drafting guys just to improve a facet of the offense or the defense, hypothetically, that, that's supposed to make it better, but it's not translating to wins, then what the hell are you doing? You're just, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a Madden draft, you know what I mean? It's not really improving the final effort, and it's not making you better as a franchise. It's just improving one little aspect of the team. That's not good enough. As good as Todd Gurley is, and he's incredible, uh, you know, for all the superlatives you've seen on Twitter, I'll back him up. They, they seem real. Uh, the dude is an incredible talent, but it's just not translating to wins. Okay. Now, I do got to ask, speaking of wins, what do you think is going to happen this Sunday? Yeah, so the problem with the Rams is you never know. I mean, uh, the the Rams had the Chicago Bears coming to St. Louis at home and got plastered. They got absolutely plastered. They gave up two 80-plus yard touchdowns in the first two and a half quarters uh, for that defense. The defense that everybody says is so talented, a defensive line that's so capable. And they are. They, they are on paper. Uh, it's just that it's not coming together yet again. And when it doesn't come together like that against Chicago at home, then anything's possible. If I, if I had to guess, you know, more often than not, what the Rams do well, they pressure the quarterback. They, they'll allow you to pass towards the center underneath zone of the field, right? If you want to take a little five-yard curl over the middle, if you've got a tight end that wants to sit in the zone underneath the middle, that's the soft spot for the Rams' defense. They do, they're very aggressive at blitzing and very disciplined at holding down the sidelines and the deep part of the field. What they'll let you do is pass over the middle. Now, the problem against the Bears was two of those passes right over the middle ended up with 76 yards after the catch twice for 80-plus yard touchdowns. But generally, the Rams do a good job of covering down on those. So if you're you're disciplined enough at staying uh, aggressive at that part of the field, you can find success. The rest of it is very tough to do. As for the Rams Rams offense against y'all's defense, if you can contain Todd Gurley for the most part, there's no reason you can't limit the Rams to less than 14 points. Okay, so I got twenty bucks, and I, I got I'm putting it on the Rams. You got twenty bucks. What do you put your your money on? I put it on Jeff Fisher to give Greg Zerline, uh, the Rams kicker, a chance to kick a sixty-nine yard field goal. I've been waiting for it. I've been waiting for the magical sixty-nine yard field goal attempt for three years. It needs to happen, and it, this this could be the matchup. You got Legatron and uh, and J Tuck. I mean. 
one of these guys can do it. I know Zerloin has the capability, and I absolutely know Justin Tucker could kick one. So this could be the game where we see it. <laughs> I, want I mean, I, I say, you know what? Instead of, like, actual offense and defense, I say we just put the kickers out on the field and they kick a field goal. From like the twenty, then they move back five yards, and then the first one to miss a field goal, that team loses. If you guys want something depressing, go watch the last two minutes of the Rams against Minnesota. The Rams actually drove into position with a minute fifty left, right after the two minute warning, third down, and instead of trying to pick up the the first down with a minute forty left, down by three on the road in Minnesota, they decide to run the ball to get in position for a 50-yard field goal, right? No, no, no attempt to get a third and four and pick it up. Get in position for the 50-yard field goal. Of course, what happens? He misses the field goal. But in pure Fisher fashion, the Rams get a three and out, get the ball, drive down, give him a second shot at a 50-plus yard field goal, and he nails that one, and they go to overtime. So there, there's no way to know what the Rams are going to do on offense. <laughs> Uh, there's no, there's no way to know when the defense is going to implode over the whole of a season. You're going to get 10, 11, 12 solid defensive performances, but that leaves enough wiggle room where who knows it's going to be the bears last week. It could be that you guys this week go for 350 yards and, and avoid the defensive line. There's just no consistency. So it's tough to know. Well, we have Joe McAtee here from turf show times. Uh, you can find him at TurfShowTimes.com or on Twitter at 3K underscore. Again, that's at 3K underscore. I- I'd say thanks for joining us, Joe. I, I appreciate it, and uh, God help both of us and all of our fans. <laughs> Indeed. And, yo, shoot me the 20 bucks, man, so I can put it down on the 69-yard field goal. Because when it happens, I want you to holler at me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so very much for joining us, man. I had, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yeah, see you, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was fun. It, uh, you know, look, it, it after talking to Joe there, it uh, I am more depressed for this game than ever before. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel bad for both teams because regardless who wins, both of us are going to lose. <laughs> I'm done. I feel like I'm out. Bundy at this point. Yeah, this is this is disgusting. This is going to be the worst game. It only gets worse because we have a Monday night football game against the fucking Browns later on in this season. <laughs> yeah, you think this uh, one's going to be bad? It only gets worse from here, folks. And then we have Josh McCown. We're going to let Johnny Football throw for 400 yards on us. God. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God, this is the worst. Real quick before we go away, I got to say uh, all the talk on Twitter right now is about the Jaguars color rush uniforms. And uh, I see right now a am I hydrated urine color chart that matches up against it. And uh, the Jaguars are sixth right behind very dehydrated. Ooh. So it is uh, it is good stuff. <laughs> I, I'm all for New Jersey's. I'm all for New jersey colors and i'm still cool with these ones like i hate when people are like man those are ugly jerseys i like literally every jersey i've seen you could not like start naming off jerseys that you think are terribly ugly and i'll tell you why they're cool you know what i'm i'm in complete agree the only the only uniform i'm not a big fan of is the b uniform i knew you were going there i knew i I just i don't like i i will go with every other uniform even the jaguars p colored ones I'm down with that. I mean, it, it's 
Hey, though this game is now being called hilarious. the Smurfs versus the Mustard. Buzz, buzz, motherfucker. I love that. Buzz, buzz, motherfucker. I just, you know, it, it, I think it's a terrible, ugly-looking uniform. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm down with all these other ones. And like I said, th- this game on Thursday Night Football between the Jags and the uh, Titans mm-hmm. is being labeled as the Smurfs versus the Mustards. Um, so... Uh, yeah, you know, I think, uh, who, who the hell knows, I think man? it's cool. Who, I love the color rush jerseys and everything, man. They're really interesting to me. I do, too. I'm I'm with you, man. Any, anything to, to brighten up the game a little bit and make it more interesting. Absolutely. But, folks, thank you so very much for joining in to the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. I had a blast. I'm pretty sure Matt did as well. Joe Loved seemed it. to have had a lot of fun hanging out with us on the show. Hope you did, too. Thank you for listening. And uh, if you didn't hear this, uh, or if you want to hear it again, mind you, we will have that up on SoundCloud and iTunes and all that good stuff for you. So, once again, my name is Kyle Barber. With me, as always, was Matthew Stevens. Talk to you again next week on Thursday. listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. If you like what we do, please like and share us on SoundCloud, Rabble.tv, and iTunes. Also, check out our Patreon account to donate as little as a dollar toward the cause and get some cool perks. Join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for yet another Baltimore Beatdown Podcast.